Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Baiguan Radio, the podcast series affiliated with the Baiguan Newsletter. My name is Robert Wu, a co-editor of Baiguan. At Baiguan, our mission is always to provide you with the most relevant and most unbiased data points, as well as viewpoints about China. Through Baiguan Radio, we will invite people from all walks of life to give you a fresh idea of what real people on the ground are thinking about in China. Today, for our first episode of Baiguan Radio, we are inviting my dear friend Jay. Jay is a U.S.-educated Hong Kong native. He's a veteran investment banker based in Hong Kong, and started his career 15 years ago during the height of the global financial crisis. In this episode, we will talk about his memories about what he considered to be a golden era of Hong Kong banking, his takeaways from working with both officials of China's state-owned sector, as well as grassroots. Private entrepreneurs. He will also touch on the topic of what Hong Kong's future holds from the perspective of an actual Hong Konger after the 2019 crisis and three years of COVID. Jay is not his real name. He requests for anonymity both because of the sensitive nature of his profession and because he wants to be as candid as he can. So let's welcome Jay. Hi, Jay. How are you? Hi, Robert. Good, good. Thank you for having me. Thank you、podcast. for thank you for joining our very first podcast at Baiguan.、Um, yeah, let me introduce you a little bit、uh, to our audience. So, so Jay is a Long-term friend of mine.、Uh, we also used to work together a few years back.、Uh, Jay was a investment banker at a big bulge、um, bracket global investment bank based in Hong Kong, helping companies do IPOs, do M&As.、Um, and for the last couple of years,、uh, Jay was a is a independent. Um, banker and investor,、uh, also、um, also based in Hong Kong, but did a lot of deals both、uh, in China as well as in Southeast Asia. So I would I, I always uh, uh, count Jay as a one of the most knowledgeable friends when it comes to、um, doing businesses and investment、uh, in Greater China region. So I'm very excited. To welcome、uh, Jay here,、um, yeah. So, 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 Jay, how about how about you introduce a little bit about you know what what's your background,、um, especially in terms of your career, you know what what kind of what type of businesses you you've been dealing with, what are some are some of the ups and downs? Yep.、Uh, th- thank you, Robert, for the introduction.、Uh, wow.、Uh, I I guess that was an overstatement to say I'm. Uh, one of the most knowledgeable among your friends. You But, are.、Uh, yeah. It's a pleasure and an honor to be to be to be on your podcast. So、uh, yeah, just just like、uh, what you asked before,、uh, maybe just to talk a little bit about my background.、Um, I、um, 
So I, I was in investment banking for one of the bulge bracket banks based in Hong Kong, mostly covering the Chinese market. Uh, and I've been doing that for nearly 10 years before I quit to do my own stuff. And in terms of ups and downs of my career, uh, I, I probably wanted to point out the fact that I joined banking in a very interesting time right in the middle of the 2008 financial crisis so that was an you know interesting period where when i first started there was no deals whatsoever in 2008 until probably the second half of night uh, of 09 so that was around 12 to 18 months where everybody was just you know I was a rookie. I didn't have an idea what was going on. And everybody was, you know, just trying to keep our job secure. So our class, our friends disappearing, rounds and rounds of layoffs. Well, luckily, I, I stayed on. So so that, that, that was a very memorable experience to begin my, my banking career. Um, well, I guess uh, uh, the common theme would be uh, the cycles are getting shorter and shorter uh, in, in, in capital markets. You can see the ups and downs and you can see the, the, the stock market, you can see the capital market. The cycle was getting shorter. So when, we, when you go back in time or when you look at the U.S. market, uh, it's very different. So before the 07, 08 uh, property crisis in the U.S., you probably saw you you probably see a ten year sort of cycle, up cycle, right? Mm, yeah, uh, and that was a good time. Uh, even for Chinese investment banking, I think at the beginning of the century, uh, 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 of the century, it it was great for five to seven years until wait. Uh, and Chinese uh, 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 companies were starting this, you know, capital market or, or, or IPO spree just right probably after 2005. And that's really when Chinese companies started to hit the capital market internationally since then. Uh, um, and And then we have this, you know, 08 financial crisis uh, brought, brought on from the U.S. side, but China probably turned around very, very quickly after 12 to 18 months. Uh, but ever, ever since the 08 crisis, I think cycles are just getting shorter and shorter. So you see bank, uh, you, you see the investment banks, you know, having a hiring spree, at a good time, and then by the time the new hires join, a down cycle would already hit you, and then you start a layoff rate. So that keeps on repeating and repeating. Uh, so I, I guess that those cycles get shorter and shorter until very recently, in the last few years, in the pandemic, where well, well, we have a we have a short period of good time uh, in twenty, and then since then everything has been quiet. We were hoping for uh, a, a better time after the opening up, 
at the end of last year. But looks like the, the market hasn't really come back. Some small recoveries uh, in terms of the indexes, but you don't really see any deals going on in, in terms of investment, bank, in, in investment banking. So that's probably my impression of the common theme in sort of capital market on the China side or, you know, uh, in the investment banking side. Right. Right. Just maybe let me dial back a little bit. So when you started out your career uh, and uh, you, you had a, like, say, one year of kind of kind of almost no deal, but once the deals are coming back, uh, what kind of deals are they? What kind of clients you're working with? Are, are they mostly just state-owned enterprises or are you mostly working with, uh, you know, private entrepreneurs? Maybe just give us a, a little bit more color on the type of people, the type of companies that you, you're working with. Yeah, I, I mean, it's both, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's safe to say that uh, after the financial crisis in 08, uh, in the following probably five to eight years, there was this rush of Chinese companies going public. Right. Well, probably since 05, uh, for that 10 years, you, you see a rush or spree of Chinese company going public. So it's mainly IPO deals at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, I, I would even say it was sort of like a commodity. You just, it's, it's an IPO factory. <laughs> okay. So, so you're just doing deals after deals, deals after deals. And um, at the time, it was really welcomed by the market. So, yeah. You know, you know, I was a rookie. I didn't know anything about it. I thought IPO was just really, you know, mechanical. It's just easy to sell stocks. I remember when, when I was a junior, I never worried. I never really thought about there would be challenge to sell stocks. You know, <laughs> okay. fundraising was easy. All the deal sizes were billions and billions of US dollars. And, and, and you never think about, you know, undersubscribing, uh, a shortfall in the in the in the order book and book building process, nothing right. nothing like that. What when did it hit you that there's actually the problem of you know not being able to sell? I think I think it was approaching thirteen or fifteen. Yeah, twenty thirteen or twenty fifteen in the in the, uh-huh. in my first few years after the financial crisis, uh-huh. never ran into problems like you know. Deals not happening, right. never. Right. So wow. So amazing. Yeah. So so that yeah. was then. That was really like an IPO factory. You never worry about demand of stocks. Right. So so it seems like your generation of kind of bankers in Hong Kong really really have the like the, this kind of golden era, right? When you think back. Oh, I I would hope so. Maybe it would be even better to start a little a few years earlier. Maybe from mm-hmm. 05. Mm-hmm. That would from 05 to 07 to 08. I think I would I would say that was the golden era. Mm. You know, in terms of in terms of uh, 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 remuneration. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. What What's the you know thinking back? What's the most memorable part? You know, or just give us one of the most memorable chapter for you. 
Well, I guess um, personally, uh, it was the 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 all nighters that you have to through uh, as a junior. But I think uh, as a banker or as a, a as a banker right after or right a fresh out of college, it's a very, very steep learning curve. And it is a great opportunity for, you know, for a young man or young woman like myself back then to have the opportunity to meet with, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs or the highest ranking officials of the state-owned enterprises face-to-face. And I, I, I think that's not something you come across that easily at a young age like that to, you know, sort of understand what they are thinking, uh, what they are, what they have experienced to get to where they were uh, at such a young age. So I, I, I think that's the most memorable uh, um, uh, aspect of, mm. of the banking career especially right. at a younger age. Right, right. So you talk about I, I can I can I can see that you talk about two type of clients. So yeah. at least two types, right? You have the state owned sector and you talk to the basically officials or quasi officials from the state sector. And you talk about mm-hmm. private entrepreneurs, right? Two types of businesses. So let's talk about them one by one. Uh what about the the state sector? Uh, it's obviously right now a, playing a, a bigger and bigger role in Chinese economy, and a lot of um, I know that a lot of our audience are also having problems understanding, uh, you know, how to deal with um, you know Chinese government, the state sector, the state economy, um, you know. Coming from your background, when you, when you were like, as you say, a rookie, a, a young banker, um, and you got to know these people, really high-ranking officials, um, what's your experience? What's your learning curve about that? What did you, what did you learn from it? Uh, what's something that you didn't realize before, but after you know this many years, you have grown uh, to be more knowledgeable about, and what kind of you know things that you think probably other investors or other, you know, bankers, foreign investors, they get wrong about uh, often. So is there anything that you want to share here? I, I, I have, I, I never really directly dealt with the government agencies in China, but mm-hmm. apparently many of my colleagues and friends did. But I did have a lot of direct dealings with some of the biggest SOEs in China. I think, I think it's very easy for outsiders to have this, typical stereotype of, you know, of the state-owned guys or, or, or the government guys being very bureaucratic and, 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 and efficient. Um, but truth is, uh, within the government and within uh, some of the top state-owned companies, they have some of the smartest people in, in, in their team. But of course, um, they are bound by so many restrictions and they, they, they got different, you know, sort of agenda and a different uh, sort of target or KPI that they're given. Uh, 
so uh, versus some normal private businesses would consider. So things that they do sometimes you might not understand, and and it's very easy for you to get the impression of inefficiency and doing work that is probably would say useless. So, but 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 you know, it, is there any example if you can think of? I mean, just anonymously. But... Well, well, I guess I guess uh, you know within an SOE or within the government, there are there, there are layers and layers and of, of different departments, and the and the team are huge. So, for us, if you if you are trying to just get this task done. It's very easy, right? Within investment banking, there is just one to two guys really just working on a live deal. You just want to get things done. But when that problem gets reported to um, to your client, to your SOE client, well, they would think very, very differently. M most of what they think is, how do they answer to their boss? And <laughs> how do they, you know, actually... Uh, cover you know sort of their responsibility so so that would make things very challenging and and difficult but that said uh, uh sometimes when the top guy wants to make things happen things can move very very quickly so it really depends on the will uh of the decision making guy, mm. so that's very important. I, I think I think that also go. I think that would. I I think that would reflect sort of similar system of our country. Uh, uh, we we are running a a, a large government, right? Uh, yeah. Versus a small a small government system, and it's not easy to sort of run this. You know. Uh, administration. So I think I think what I want to point out is that uh, when our country chooses the right direction, this top-down administration system can actually drive things very very quickly and efficiently. But the billion-dollar question is, what is the right direction? That that is not easy. And and given the current complex geopolitical you know sort of environment. It's an even tougher question to answer and for leader to, you know, sort of tackle and consider everything, all the factors, all the conflicting factors together and to steer the country into the right direction. Same for an SOE. So so that's really what I what I what I want to, you know, point out. It, it, right. it it's a tough situation. Right. Basically, the SOEs you're working with, you're working with, are just like a kind of a mini, mini, small version of the. You saw that as a small version of the bigger country that 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 we 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 operate in. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. So so what it's about the? It's a reflection the, of mm -hmm. how this country is run, right? Right. 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 Wow. So. So, so if you really know about how China is run, better start your career as an investment banker and help SOE raise capital. Yeah, you know, back then, even for SOEs, 
it's easy to raise capital. I remember doing, you know, sort of bond deals, one of the top rated SOEs, you know, three, three billion, five billion de uh, debut, mm. closed within a matter of days. Or right. actually hours, maybe. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what about the the the, the private the, the entrepreneurs? Because when we were working together, we were actually I actually witnessed you um basically working side by side with you know owners, entrepreneurs of um you know businesses worth hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. And you seem to be like really at ease. You, you, you know, I, I, I said you are one of the most knowledgeable friends because, you know, the, the, the fact that when you were dealing with a lot of these entrepreneurs, you seem to really know your way around. That's something that always amazed me. So, so what do you think about them? I mean, how, what, what, what type of, um, you know, entrepreneurs that you, you've been working with? And, uh, you know, is there any, people that specifically amaze you? What would you learn from them? I'm really curious to know about that. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, um, well, well, just just like yourself, I'm always amazed by all these Chinese, you know, businessmen and, and, and entrepreneurs. Uh, uh, there are, you know, there are the good sides and the, and, the, and the sort of not so ideal side of Chinese businesses, right? Uh, uh, Chinese businessmen, um, they are also, you know, very, very diligent and hardworking. They work days and nights. They have this strong desire, you know, to accomplish, to succeed. I think, I think that's, that, that's, that's one of the most important driving force, forces for, for the Chinese economy. To have this desire and you know mm. uh, to 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 succeed, uh, so so I think I think that's what amazes me the most to witness some of those you know strong wills uh, of the entrepreneurs. And that aside, I think the Chinese business environments are more difficult than some of the other developed markets. Super, super competitive. And that's also why you always see, you know, price wars, cutthroat prices in all aspects in doing in China. That's tough. So, uh, you know, this will to, you know, make money to, to, to survive is particularly crucial in the Chinese business environment. Well, but it is what it is, right? Uh, this country came from nowhere to where it is today uh, in a matter of a few decades. Uh, and, 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 and that's a super competitive process with, with such a big population. And, and I, think, I think many of the businessmen or entrepreneurs to begin with uh it's really uh this guts or let's say risk appetite rather than professional knowledge in the 
very first two, 20 years, right? So if you're willing to take the risk, and of course you need to be, you know, you need to be smart, you need to be diligent, you need to be able to deal with people, and those are the basic qualities. Doesn't guarantee you, but those are what you definitely have to have before anything else. And then you just need to be risk-loving. You just need to, you know, take the risk and do what you do. And you might be able to survive. You might be able to, you know, sort of stand out in the crowd. So, so, but then, you know, you know, we, we can see this transition in the last, I don't know, last 10 to 15 years. It's no longer that kind of story where you are bold enough, you're willing to take risk. Many people probably took risk in the last three to five years and they probably regretted it today, including the historically very, very successful businessmen. It, it's, a, it's a very different place today. So, yeah, let, let me let me ask you this, like on the percentage wise, I mean, you've been working with so many entrepreneurs now, like say over the last decade or so, how many of them are doing better today than they were than you first met them? How many of them on a percentage level are doing worse or, you know, who, where are they now? Are they just still uh, running their business as well or are they just quitting i mean can you give us a kind of a feeling of of, of that well unfortunately i have to say i i, I couldn't pinpoint an, an exact figure but i think i think it's safe to say that most of the most of them are not doing really really well wow wow right so um so well even for the well, 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 you see many who have been in default and you have seen many who are not as aggressive, then you see their wealth shrink. But maybe, well, relatively speaking, they're doing better than some others. So most of people are not doing so well today. Uh, I, I, I guess, I guess, well, well, I guess that's predictable, right? Because it's a really, really different trajectory. In the la in the you know, five years ago, if you look back in forty years, everything is going up. Yeah. In in the investment banking industry, you you only see the most successful guys. So when the country or or, or the or the macro environment is all going up, and you see those who survive and succeed in that kind of environment. Everybody was doing so well. But then when, when, when you are in the middle of this kind of trajectory, it's very easy for you to think that if you work hard, you invest, you will get results and rewards. But then when, you know, when the direction change, it's very easy to make mistakes or, or not mistakes. It's very easy to get a very, very different result than before. You're just doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. So, so, so I, I, I think that's the only comment that I can make. But, well, of course, there are some other uh, 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 entrepreneurs who are still doing well today, uh, uh, given you know some sort of favorable policies. For example, the 
the, the renewable energy guys, the, 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 the uh, sort of the uh, EV guys, the, the semiconductor guys. But, well, I, I think the one, it is very, very rare. Even in these hot industries, you probably only see a handful of guys who are actually really doing well right now. Right. It, it's fascinating to hear that, that this, this rough statistics from you. I've um, actually never thought about that in, in this kind of regard. So this seems like really tough. It seems like really tough the, the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, it is tough. And, and I think after 40 years of, you know, only uptrend, uh, if, if you take a step back, it's, it's probably not so surprising to see things flatten out, right? So to, 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 to hit a plateau. So, so the, 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 the more important question is how do you sort of, uh, maintain that kind of status for a while and, and, and steer things up again rather than going down. So, so, so I think people need to get used to that. Right. Do you think it will ever come up again? Well, I hope so. <laughs> right. What do you think it will take? No, you know, honestly, if you ask me, I, I, I don't know. I just hope things will turn for the better. But, uh, but let me say this. I think uh, Chinese people are one of the most hardworking people in the world. And, they, and we always have the desire to make our lives better, to create, to work for our better being. I think I would always believe that kind of nature or, or, or characteristics in Chinese people. So given the right environment, given the right context, well, I believe we will thrive again. So, but it really depends on, 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 on the kind of macro environment we are given. What do you think, what do you want to see more of? Well, uh, I think, I think, Confidence matters the most, right? I always believe that uh, 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 economic or social development is often led by very few people who are willing to take the risk to invest. You know, GDP, employment, household disposable income, they are created only because those very few people who are willing to, you know, put everything they have to invest and to create and to build a business. So I think confidence of businessmen and entrepreneurs to invest need to be restored. And, and in order to restore, I think it is also important to recognize that the desire to make profit is not shameful. We need to set aside all these kind of ideology of, you know, well, you need to just, you know, uh, contribute and not ask for rewards. That's just not human nature. We need to recognize the human nature to work hard, to take risk, and to be rewarded. 
and 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 human you humans are just you know i hate to say that but we are greedy we want something right we contribute we want something in return we got to recognize that human nature uh so that we'll be able to you know sort of make policies uh, uh based on human nature so that people's confidence can be re restored and continue to contribute rather than you know people have been saying you know i'd rather not invest and just keep what i have and some people might think i might just you know run so that that's what you don't want to see right right it's great that you articulate this so well yeah i heard i i hope more people hear about this great so let's switch gear a little bit um so that's a lot of uh, we talk a lot about the economy your business career how about another thing um you also are one of the very few friends of mine who are um you know who, who works on a lot of the china business side but also you are almost a hong kong native um i knew that you were not born in hong kong but you moved to hong kong at a from mainland china at a very early age um so you you are like to me you are like just at the same time a hong kong local resident but at the same time you are also you know you speak perfect mandarin you 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 speak uh one of the best mandarin that i i know of for a hong konger right so so is that common thing i mean from where you where you raised up you where you were growing is that a common thing can you share a little bit about your 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 background going way back i think i think that there's two aspects right uh i i would i would probably say that it is not very common especially in the financial market so but you see many of my earlier peers my 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 childhood friends actually it was quite common because you know hong kong and guangdong have very very strong ties you know you have you have uh, uh families broken up in two places so you always have this movement from uh guangdong or other parts of china to hong kong at younger age uh that was common but within the financial market it's it, it it's 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 really not common so i bet it is safe to say that i can understand both sides a little more than other people so uh you know well, what's what's about the financial market yeah i think i think i think for the financial market most most people probably come to hong kong you know for college but many more after college to join the professional industry right so 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 identity wise it feels very very differently i i i identified myself as both a hong kong native as well as a chinese because because well, I, I i strongly uh recognize my uh, chinese identity if, if that's one of the questions that you're referring to and but i also deeply understand what hong kong people think so so you know i i went to a local school i went to an international school afterwards and then i went to the us for college so I I I I bet um it is safe for me to say that I can probably understand very deeply uh how both sides think 
And I, I, I had always ma made it a mission to sort of bridge the gap, you know. I, I, I always want to, you know, resolve this misunderstanding of one side to the other. So, so whenever we discuss this issue, it, it always intrigues me to sort of trying to explain where people are coming from, from the other side. So, so yeah, that, 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 that's my background. Right. For those who don't know, I learned quite a bit of Cantonese um, slangs from, uh, from, from Jay as well. Because you, you, you're, <laughs> you're right. You're always the kind of the, the bridge builder. So the last couple of years, we all know that it's been quite difficult for Hong Kong, right? You have um, both social unrest, historic social unrest in 2019. You, and you have three years of COVID following that as well. A lot of social tension, a lot of turmoil, a lot of anxieties. Um, and I know many um, Hong Kongers were upset and some of them were leaving Hong Kong. So for the people you know, I'm really curious, for the people you know that have left, who are they mostly? Um, and for those who chose to stay, what type of people are they? And what about you? Why aren't you leaving? I ask this question because who stay in Hong Kong will likely decide the future growth trajectory of Hong Kong. So I'm really, really curious. To be honest, I don't know too many people directly who have left Hong Kong. Uh, and I guess many of them haven't left or didn't decide to leave uh, because this is still the best place for them to, you know, sort of advance their career, do their business, make a better living. Well, that's the same case for me. Uh, I can't see myself, you know, uh, doing a business, uh, building a career anywhere else in the world. Well, but at the same time, uh, I do know indirectly many of my friends' friends. I've heard about a lot of people uh, moving away from Hong Kong. Some of them are probably not doing so well uh, in the other countries that they moved to. Well, but uh, the reason they left it is that they feel upset. They feel it is necessary to leave Hong Kong and maybe it is a better place for their next generation. Um, many of them are probably middle class or lower middle class. Um, if you see the statistics, uh, many Hong Kongers uh, move out of Hong Kong. Um, so I think that's a worrying sign. Uh, Hong Kong still needs to uh, maintain its unique status uh, and set aside all these conflicts, um, create a good business environment uh, to attract and retain uh, talents. But I think it is true that uh, many people are thinking about um, moving out or at least... Um, considering to have a fallback plan when things turn uh, even worse. So I think this is something 
we should not uh, ignore. Um, if you do not give uh, sort of the assurance or sense of security uh, to the people in Hong Kong, people are going to leave sooner or later. So I think it is very important to uh, give people this sense of security and assurance uh, that living here, working here is safe in many aspects. So I just want to uh, point that out. Yes, I think it's obvious that something must be done to boost the confidence of Hong Kongers of the current situation. What about the future? Do you, you know, living, you're living in Hong Kong now, you're also working with mm-hmm. both the natives, um, the immigrants, um, the both the financial market as well as the, your local neighborhoods, right? What, what, what do you think, um, you know, what do you think the 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 the, the mindset, the environment, the, in the local society um, have changed over the couple of years, and what will think will happen uh, in the in the in the years to come? Will there be? Do you think there will be more instability? Um, you know, yeah. Just just what do you feel about it? Well, uh, I, uh, I I wouldn't say well. I, I don't I don't foresee any more instability to come right because I think things are pretty settled now right but I think I think I think what you pointed out uh, 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 is really what I wanted to um, uh, say is let's not look at the past mm. let's look at the future uh, I can understand the frustration of many Hong Kong people and not to say that I agree what happened in the last few years uh but um i i really want to say that we should set aside all these you know sort of political ideological disputes for ordinary people like ourselves we just want to have a better well-being in our lives right so what i really hope is that Hong Kong can maintain and leverage its status and positioning of bridging China and the West or a, or a window of China. And we should be as pragmatic and practical as possible in order to develop our future. Let's just forget about politics. We learn from Singapore. We know our limitations and restrictions as a city, right? We are just a city. Well, Singapore is a city-state. But they, knew, they, they never really want to get, you know, involved or tangled up with politics or international politics. They're just focused on business and the well-being of the people. Well, but, but, but it, is, it, is, it is difficult. Because of the current geopolitical environment, it's very, very difficult for Hong Kong to, you know, continue, continue to play that role of, you know, an, a, a, a special window or bridge. But I do think that our country, our leaders, should recognize 
that this is beneficial to both Hong Kong and the country. It is a rare state to have. You know, you know, before 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 the handover, before the opening up, if you see the history over the past 50 to 70 years, the development of Hong Kong, a big part of it was because it acts as a window to China, to the world not because of the colonial administration of the UK for the, for, for, for the major part. Don't get this wrong. So if we can continue to play that role, especially given the current geopolitical sort of environment, well, we might have a chance to, you know, redevelop or continue to develop. So I think, I say, we set aside political and ideological debates we focus on development. We focus on what we have, what's so special about us in Hong Kong, and play that role well to benefit both ourselves and everyone else. All right. That would be my genuine hope. Great, great to hear you saying that. Um, my last question. Um, this is a question for all the guests. You know, all our guests will. Uh, will we'll come and just name one of the their favorite, um, say books or TV shows or movies. Um, you know, what, what what's your favorite one? Right. Well, I guess that's nothing. Uh, nothing really about. Uh, the financial market or business. I really like the U.S. Uh, series called Blacklist. Well, it's it's sort of a. I, I I don't know how do you classify that. It's sort of like a detective kind of uh, and criminal kind of TV series. Uh, but the reason why I liked it is really because it has a really, really, really deep uh, uh, reflection of human nature. In terms of how you decipher sort of the human psychology in terms of dealing with all kinds of people, I think I think it's not only about uh, uh, it, it, it's the same psychology in, in in business in international relations. It's all the same. It amazes me to see how these, you know, US TV series can 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 deeply review either the dark human nature or the good human nature. They do not, you know, evade from revealing all these kind of fascinating human nature. And that goes back to how we should recognize the good sides and the bad sides of human nature. Once we can recognize it, we, we, we do things and we deal with people so much better. It's also exciting to see as well. Great. So Blacklist, recommended by Jay. Let's all watch it. Um, thank you. Thank you so much.
Thank you for your time for being with being the first guest of Bike One Radio. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Thank you.